G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au. G'day and welcome to today's 2020 podcast. I'm Matt Gies and just a reminder, you can hear the full program of 2020 every weekday on the Vision Radio Network in the West from 8am and the Eastern Daylight Saving States from 11am. On today's podcast, we're hearing from Phil Oman from the Billy Graham Rapid Response Team here in Australia. You may remember a few weeks ago, we chatted to Phil about the BGA Rapid Response Team. And that time, Phil was about to head off to the USA with his wife and a small team of chaplains to help out where they could in the disaster relief efforts following Superstorm Sandy. Well, Phil is back in Australia and he joined us in the studio, this time with his wife, Lindsay. I chatted to them and asked them to start with Phil reminding us exactly what the Billy Graham Rapid Response Team is and what they do. Our, our actual role is in, internationally is to, uh, to, to provide emotional spiritual support to Samaritan's Purse disaster relief teams. Um, secondary to that, to actually provide emotional spiritual support to, um, I hate to use the term victims, but uh, victims, survivors of major disasters. Um, that's pretty much what we do, go and come alongside people and and help them through. Now, you yourself have got a background in uh, emergency chaplaincy as much as yourself also being a former paramedic. And, uh, Lindsay, I believe you also have been journeying along the way with your husband as a chaplain and as a registered nurse. I have, that's right. I've been a registered nurse for some 28 years and I've been a chaplain now for probably about four years. What led you to taking that step? I mean, like... Obviously, somebody very comfortable in your faith, very open about the way God leads you. But how do you make that transition from just being a support person to your husband, who's a chaplain, to making the step to actually being a chaplain yourself? Well, for me, chaplaincy came about through my work because, you know, all our girls at work, our girls and boys, they're all nurses. Outside that, everybody has a life. Those lives sometimes get very, very complicated. And, you know, I've been faced with things at work that staff have come in with with suicide attempts and people with terminal illness and, you know, staff members whose next of kin got brain tumours, things like that. And these are crises in everyday life. And so we have a beautiful pastoral care team at work, but the staff generally like to talk to someone they know. So that's how I ended up starting off in chaplaincy. Mm. And, and from there, you've grown into the role, obviously, and impacting people, not just within your workplace, but uh, through the people you meet in the, the rapid response team. That's right. That's right. So what was it like for you making that step out of, I guess, uh, a familiar territory where you're you know, someone who your, your colleagues can come and talk mm-hmm. to, so I guess, uh, further exploring the realm of chaplaincy as a whole? For me, it was... I wouldn't like to say fulfilling a dream, but it was almost like that. It's sort of like for 10 years I was working and Phil was doing his education to become more qualified as a chaplain. And then for me to be able to step into part of that as well was sort of just like icing on the cake, really. And it's great to be able to work in partnership with your husband and doing God's work in that way? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's nothing quite like it. And, you know, often if you're out and about, 
with the rapid response team, if you go and see homeowners, there will be a husband and a wife. And in those cases, you know, Phil can talk to the husband, I can talk to the wife, or we just all talk together, and and it works very, very well. I guess it adds a different dynamic too, doesn't it, uh, for, from your angle, a husband and wife team going into some of these areas where potentially, as you just said, Lindsay, you, know, you could have a husband and wife couple who are going through these issues and just to have a married couple come in, not just a chaplain, but a married couple who are both chaplains mm-hmm. coming in and, and being able to sit down and chat to them and answer some of those questions they may have because you know, we look at things differently from when you're single to when you're a married couple or, or even when you're out in the field as a single or as a couple. Would that be correct in saying that? Yeah, that, that's true. What, what we tend to find is that we, we have different different skills. It's the old story of the two together being greater than the, the, the two individual parts. We'll often go into a conversation with, with a couple uh, and we'll start down, down one route and then they'll say something which will trigger something else in the other person and we, we play sort of tag team. Generally speaking, when we send teams out, we, we send people out in, in pairs and uh, we found in the last week when we were in the States, the, the other pairs that were sent out were same-sex pairs. Two, two women together for the most part. And uh, one was asked to be the, the sort of lead chaplain. And we thought about this at the beginning of the week and thought, well, we don't actually have a lead. We, we just go in and we, as Lindsay says, we, we play tag team and we, we just sort of fit in as and where we can. We, we actually love to have married couples doing chaplaincy for exactly that reason. Well, let's get on to some of the experiences that you've had. Can you explain a little bit for our listeners again what led you to coming from Australia to the US to help out with the the teams from the rapid response that were already going to be activated to, to help out, as you said, to, to provide that spiritual support for Samaritan's Purse and to also work in the disaster zone for any potential, as you said, victims of the storm? Because it's a long way from Australia to the US. Well, yeah, uh, the, the rapid response program, although it's, it's in three or four nations, uh, is, is actually an international response. When I saw the size of the incident in the US, it was obvious that it was going to take a large number of chaplains to go and respond to it over a fairly long period of time. And that has proved to be the case. Uh, I, I simply sent an email to the international director saying, we have some resource here if you think it would be useful. And he wrote back and said, yeah, that, that would be a really good idea. If you could come over this particular week, that would fit in nicely with his plans. And that's exactly what we did. We, we sent out an email to, to some of the chaplains saying this is what was happening. And uh, a couple responded and we, we sent a team over. How long were you over there and uh, what was the, the reaction when you first got into that East Coast area of the USA? Right. We, we were there for a week. We, we always deploy for a week, Sunday to Sunday. The, the strange thing driving in was that it looked completely normal because the, the water came in, flooded all the houses and then went out again. And the houses are still in one piece, um, unlike the sort of fires and, and tornadoes that we would normally see. So everything looked reasonably normal, notwithstanding the huge piles of personal belongings on the roadside, yeah. of course. Uh, so it was, it was a little bit of a shock walking into the houses and seeing just what the devastation was. But yeah, I, I, th- I think probably a, a bit of an eye-opener for me. don't know about Lindsay. Um, well, for me, it was, it's a little bit like Phil said, you know, on the, on the surface, things look fairly normal. Yeah. We weren't in the worst hit area. We weren't, our friends were up in Long Beach and I think that was hit a lot more and the devastation probably was more obvious on the outside. But, you know, unlike, say, Grantham, there weren't any houses actually moved into the paddocks. There weren't any knocked off their foundations, like they were knocked off the stumps up there. It was a shock. I was shocked by one thing, which was how fast the mould was growing, considering it was cold and freezing. And I would hate to have been there in the summer. 
because, you know, it would be so much worse. And I guess I was shocked by, same as in Grantham as well, it's not just the material belongings that people are losing, but it's the substance of the house on the inside. It's the walls and the floor and the insulation. And this is not the time of year in America to be without walls. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that was that was how it hit me. Very different sort of winter climate to what we would expect here in Australia. That's right. That's right. I mean, it was it, for me, it was a beautiful cold. But um, like I said, if you've got no power and no nothing for heat and light, nothing to cook on, it's not really that pleasant. We're in the middle of a conversation between myself and Phil and Lindsay Oman, who are chaplains with the Billy Graham Rapid Response Team. G'day, Matt G's with you on the 2020 podcast. Phil and Lindsay have just returned from a trip to the USA where they were working alongside the Samaritan's Purse Relief Workers and other chaplains from the Rapid Response Teams on the East Coast following Hurricane Sandy just a couple of weeks back. We rejoin the conversation as Phil explains exactly where on the US East Coast they were based for the week that they were there. We were actually based in Atlantic City. That's a real place of, of contrast. You've got all the big buildings, big, big bright lights, a little bit like Las Vegas. And then just a couple of streets back is fairly low socioeconomic housing. It's quite a quite a contrast. Atlantic City got hit pretty badly, but the, the worst affected area was just outside New York, probably about 70 or 80 kilometres north. They really got affected badly, and that's where the response is going to go on for a good good few months yet. Atlantic City got away fairly light, I guess, in, in relative terms. And the further up the coast, it seems to have got worse from what I can gather. But uh, it, it wasn't pretty. Where were some of the other areas that uh, the Billy Graham chaplains had been deployed to? We were in Atlantic City. There was another place about 40, 50 kilometres up up the coast called Tom's River. That got hit pretty badly. There was another group just outside Kennedy Airport in New York. And there was another site just over the uh, over the river in Newark, just opposite New York. Those were the four main places. And so the, the Rapid Response team there working with Samaritan's Purse and, and trying to, I guess, have some sort of effect on, on what had happened. Yeah, the, the way Samaritan's Purse works, they, they have these sort of 57-foot-long trailers full of equipment. And they, they basically drove from North Carolina, where they're based, up to these four locations. And they, they just parked the, the truck um, at a, a friendly local church, and uh, everything works from there. They, they bring all the equipment with them. They have a few people who are on staff who coordinate the response, and everybody else is volunteers from the local community. And I think in Atlantic City, we had about 170 volunteers on the Saturday before we arrived. Up in, in New Jersey near the airport, I believe they had four, over 400 volunteers one day. Uh, and we've had anything up to 15 chaplains at any given site at one time. Can you paint the picture for us as to what it looked like? Because... Uh, I can imagine what a 37-foot-long trailer would look like, but can you sort of uh, elaborate a little bit more on, on what actually happens? How does Samaritan's Purse work there? And, and as you said, you know, part of your role is to support the Samaritan's Purse mm -hmm. workers, and then the secondary role is to support everyone else. So first and foremost, it's to, to look after those that are looking after others, I guess. That's right, yes. The, the way that it works is that uh, we send an initial team that goes on ahead, They'll link in with a local church, which will be the base for all our operations. And they'll sort of scout the local community, um, put ads on the radio, go through the local media and say that we're here to help. We're looking mainly at the people that don't have insurance uh, and aren't really in a financial position to, to 
pay the contractors to come in and do all the remedial work. So what happens is all, all these people will, will call in with their jobs, will send someone out to survey them, and then we'll make a list, or Samaritan's Purse will make a list of, of which jobs need to be done. And then every day they'll split into teams depending on how many volunteers they have and send the teams out to start doing the work. The rapid response team role comes in to, we, we pray the teams out every morning. We meet up with the team at least once a day while they're on the work site to, to pray with them and to pray with the local homeowners. Mm. And then when we've done our, our meeting with the team, then we'll go and we'll, we'll typically talk to homeowners who've had work completed by Samaritan's Purse or work that's in progress. So we're really following on from Samaritan's Purse with with the teams and the homeowners. So I guess it's it's sort of like I, I can picture in my head some of the images, having not been there myself personally, but I can picture in my head some of the images that I've seen on on the news and that of uh, our state emergency services across Australia setting up base camps, tents, marquees everywhere, food lines, kitchens, clothing stores, that sort of thing. Would that be about right? Yeah, the, the local communities tend to have recovery centres uh, where you can go and you can get all of all of the above. We also work in the recovery centres in the early stages, but as the recovery centres close down, which was the case by the time we got to New Jersey, we're working more in the community. One of the great things we do with the church is that everyone that we meet, that the chaplains meet and we pray with, uh, we'll get a follow-up from the local church. So they'll, they'll get the, the work order list, mm. and the deal is that the, the church will follow up every single person to make sure that... Uh, any conversations they've had with the chaplains or indeed with Samaritan's Purse volunteers will be carried on uh, because the worst thing we can do is is to, to bring people through or help people through the crisis they've had, uh, particularly the ones that, that decide to, to pray a prayer of salvation. There needs to be follow-up. This is why we, we like to work with the local church and they've made a commitment to do this. The church we were at was particularly interesting because the day we arrived was the first day that a new pastor had arrived. He preached his first sermon oh uh, the, the day we arrived. <laughs> he actually preached the sermon in his birthday suit. Um, it was his birthday and his wife had just brought him a suit. So he said, <laughs> <laughs> everyone's first impression of the new pastor will be he preached his first sermon in his birthday suit. Sounds like a character. <laughs> he, he most definitely is, yes. And, and as I say, the, the deal is that the people that, that prayed the salvation prayer the week we were there uh, will be followed up by the church, will be discipled by the church, and everybody else will also have follow-up from the local church. Now, it may well be they have their own church families, but it's important that there is some follow-up. Uh, and if, if the church contacts them and the result is, well, thank you very much, I have my own church, then uh, the attitude will be, well, well, God bless you, thank you very much, and we'll move on to the next person. Now, Phil, you were talking before that um, the follow-up was important. The local church is becoming involved and, and helping to reconnect, I guess, after the initial contact from either Samaritan's Purse or the Billy Graham chaplains. But you also mentioned before we, we came on air that you'd seen 20 salvations uh, coming out of this disaster zone. Now, that's that's pretty significant because I always see disasters being one of two reactions from people. It's either going to really strengthen people's faith or it's going to go the exact opposite way. Now, that now that's just me talking. I don't know exactly whether that would be true. What would your experiences be, both you and Lindsay, from what you've seen in your, your travels? Well, our, our expectation was that because we were going in, I think, in the third week after the disaster, we were expecting that everyone would be through the sort of initial crisis phase um, and they'd be really angry at everybody, wanting to know when everything is going to get back to normal. Uh, but that's not what we found. We We actually found that most people... Um, most people had a faith. Most people said that their faith had taken a knock, but they were coming out with lines that you would expect the chaplains to come out with, like, you know, well, it's it's just stuff. 
Um, my, my treasures are in heaven, not in, in earthly goods. Wow. And it was a little bit of a shock to get sort of challenged by this. And I, I certainly got challenged by a number of people that I met. One lady actually came running down the street to see us as we got out of our car um, because she saw the, the Billy Graham name on the side of the car. And, and she said uh, she wanted to talk to someone from Billy Graham because she listens to to Billy Graham's radio broadcasts. <laughs> and we, we asked her, you know, do you have a church family and so on? And she said, oh, oh yes, very much so. She's very, very full on for God, very strong in her faith. She said that it's it's just material goods. It wasn't important. God has a plan. She doesn't know what the plan is, but it's going to be a great plan because it always is. Mm. Uh, and it's not quite what we were expecting to hear. And I'm sure Lindsay had some other experiences too. Well, the thing I found really interesting was the fact that nobody seemed to be angry at God. Nobody was blaming him for what happened. And nobody was asking, why did your God let this happen to me? Nobody said that to us wow. at all which I was surprised at because I sort of imagined that, that you know, that could easily be a reaction. Mm. Not everybody understood what was going on, but they never blamed it on God, which I found really, really good. We had one gentleman that we were talking to. He had two properties that were affected by by the flood, and and he said exactly like Phil did. You know, he said, well, he said, I was in church in the pew last week. He said, and I'm just praying to God, and I'm saying, God, I think – this is too much for me. I think you've given me too much. And he said, no. He said, what actually happened with him was he just finished a night shift and he was sitting at the kitchen table with his wife and they were wondering how on earth they were ever going to be able to do anything with their two houses because they tried to take the walls out in one room in one house and it didn't work and they couldn't afford to do anything. And as they were talking about it, the phone rang and it was one of our Samaritan's purse team leaders, and he said, ma'am, we've been referred to you. I believe you have some work you need us to do. And she said, well, either you're a saint or this is a cruel joke. He said, ma'am, I'm a saint. <laughs> and and the team rocked up and they were working and, and the guy said, you know, to see these people doing this sort of thing just lifts your faith. He said, now I know. Yes, God sent this for me, but I know I can handle it because I'm not on my own. I guess that's a big thing that uh, the chaplains can do also is you know, the Samaritan's Purse guys are going in there doing that practical work. You guys can come in there behind and just reassure that, yeah, God is here. God, mm. is, God is working in this area. That's right. And we return to the final part of the conversation with Billy Graham Rapid Response Team Chaplains Phil and Lindsay Oman. They've been in Atlantic City in the USA recently deploying with other Billy Graham chaplains and Samaritan's Purse relief workers. Now we pick up the conversation as Phil recounts the ways in which he has seen God at work through practical volunteers in this disaster recovery zone. Yeah, what, right. what we found quite interesting was that, I, I, I have to admit it, some of the Samaritan's Purse workers sort of put us chaplains to shame. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would say so. Um, because they're, they are there all day long with the homeowners and it's quite acceptable if, if one of the Samaritan's Purse workers gets into conversation with the homeowners, just to take some time out mm. and, and spend some time with them. And, and watching some of the, the more experienced Samaritan's Purse workers, they are just so secure in their faith and they just have such a way of communicating with people that when we go in and talk to the homeowners afterwards, half, half of our job has been done. So when we talk to them about, you know, if, if, if you were to die tomorrow, are you absolutely sure that, that you'd be spending eternity in heaven with Jesus? The answer is invariably, 
Well, I'm, I'm not quite sure, but this, this SP guy that spoke to me the other day told me how good it should be. And, and yes, I'd love to pray the prayer, which is why, you know, so many people were, were praying a salvation prayer because a, a lot of the time all the groundwork had been done before we even got there. It's amazing. Well, Phil, uh, there's been a lot of experiences that you and Lindsay have seen. Is there any one experience that in that week you would say would probably stay with you forever? Well, for, for me, there, there, are, there are two. Uh, there was one lady that we called on who just happened to be there at the moment we arrived. Mm. She was only going to be at her house for a couple of minutes. We arrived, Samaritan's Purse came shortly afterwards, and we told her that the, the volunteers would be coming into work on her house. And the, the team leader came in and introduced himself and said, I'll just bring the guys in. And I think she was expecting three or four people. And, and as 23 volunteers walked in, it was, oh, my Oh, my goodness. Oh, my. Um, but the, the, the one that's really going to stick with me is, is, is an old couple. A gentleman who's 87, his wife is 84, been married 67 years. The, the wife was uh, bedbound with arthritis. And um, Samaritan's person had been doing some work in a, in a local street, and they just went, went around door knocking to see if they could help. And uh, this, this old guy came to, the, came to the door and invited them in. In, in all of the, the, the crisis and the disaster, the first thing he did was to put the, put the coffee on and offer cookies to, to provide hospitality to, to the visitors. And we spent a fair amount of time, in fact, I think we spent most of a day just in there talking to him and his wife. The, the wife was a Sunday school teacher for 30 years, and we had, she just had the, the most wonderful smile and the most wonderful deep um, sparkle in her blue eyes. Lovely lady. But they didn't want help. They were trying to be independent. Apparently, when the flood came through, as it started coming through the doors, uh, her husband realised that there was no way out. They had to go up to the second floor of the house. And he actually put a couple of bedsheets under her under her shoulders uh, and dragged her up the stairs. Now, bear in mind, he's 87. Um, it was an, an amazing thing to do. And I, I think that's, that for, for me, that's real love, mm. a real love and commitment. And, of course, she had to drag her down again afterwards, which she wasn't too pleased with. <laughs> but, hey. Um, but that's, that's what's going to stick with me, that, that old couple. And all, all the problems they had, all they wanted to do was, was help us and, and uh, provide hospitality to us. Mm. It was a real, real pleasure being with them. What about you, Lindsay? Was there one, one experience over many others that would, would stick in your head as, yeah, this is going to stay with me for a lifetime? Well, the one for me was uh, we went to a place called Little Egg Harbour and it's it's an area where all the houses seem to be built on inlets and so you have, you'll go down one street which has got inlet on either side and every single house has got every single part of its inside on the curb. Um, we went to this one place and there was a gentleman there and he had a disabled father who was inside with a wheelchair and he said that, first of all, the flooding came up to about four feet high. And then he said a nine-foot wall of water, a wave, came through. And he said when that hit the house, they were like the second row of houses in. When that hit the house, he saw and he felt the front wall of the house bow in. But he said it didn't. It didn't breach at all. And his father said at that stage, he said, OK, take me out. And he said, well, you're going to die because you'll be underwater in the wheelchair. Samaritan's Purse were there cleaning out the house. His wife was there and she was just very, very distraught. She was full of fear and anxiety because she just didn't know if she died, if that was it. Was that really going to be it or was there really going to be anything else? 
and myself, I did a tag team with a Samaritan's Purse worker and he was great. And we were talking to her and telling her that fear doesn't come from God and that God is always there for you and will never leave you. And she had some she had some other questions surrounding her own church and things like that. And we were able to talk with her. We were able to just allay that fear that she had. We were able to reassure her. And she did actually eventually end up praying a prayer of salvation right there on the street. Um, for me, the other experience was a combination of what Phil said about the old couple because the old lady just didn't couldn't get out because she was so riddled with arthritis. She was sitting on a bed in the lounge and um, all she wanted was company. She wanted someone to sit and spend time. Together with that, some of our other team members encountered a widow and for her, she also was just about housebound and her family weren't anywhere near and all she wanted was a touch. And they, they all, and the whole Samaritan's Purse team just lined up and all gave her a hug. Mm. Um, and it just reminded me of the story of the leper, you know, when Jesus healed the leper. Jesus could have used anything he liked. He could have sent a zap of lightning to heal him. He could have healed him from a distance. He could have said words and healed him, but instead he touched him. And, you know, never underestimate the power of touch. It's a powerful thing. And it just conveys something that we can't say in words. Now, obviously, there's still going to be work continuing in these areas across the east coast of the USA. Uh, your your colleagues from the Rapid Response Team in America are obviously still on the ground there as a Samaritan's Purse. Do they have an idea of how long they're going to be needed? Yeah, the, the way that we work is is we, we remain in the deployment area or each truck remains in the deployment area until the work peters out. Now, the Atlantic City team has moved up more north in New Jersey earlier this week, but the devastation is so bad on Long Island in New York that Samaritan's Purse are looking at at least six months. Um, now, that it may well be that we send another truck up there to support, but Long Island has really, really been hit badly. There's this, some areas there still with no power uh, a month on, um, and New York in the middle of winter is not a nice place to be without power. Imagine. So it's obviously a big prayer point there for mm. for our listeners here in Australia to be able to, uh, at some stage, just remember the the workers who are still there in in the US, still trying to uh, help those recovering from this this massive storm. Yeah, that, that's right. The, I, I guess it's just a, a problem with with the way media is these days. You know, you've got a big story today, and, and tomorrow another story comes, and yesterday's story just gets forgotten. I hadn't realised that the devastation was quite as bad as it is. Uh, and to hear that you know, six months, at, at, a, at a current estimate, it could be an awful lot longer than that. But yeah, if, if people can, can pray for the teams in America, the, the Samaritan's Purse workers and the rapid response team chaplains, that would be great. And it's amazing how much of a difference those prayers can mm. make. Mm. Yeah, we, we've seen a lot of prayers answered uh, while we were over there. Just, just watching people, uh, look, looking at people when you walk in, then you walk out maybe half an hour or an hour later, having had a conversation with them, and you, you can see they're they're physically changed uh, by the prayer. And of course, we we wouldn't even begin to deploy people into the field without prayer cover. Mm. Uh, that's why we we make a point of praying with every single team that goes out in the morning, and we pray with them at least once during the day, and we pray with the homeowners. We I, I haven't prayed for as many people for for ages. You literally pray for everybody you come across. We actually prayed with some street workers, some road workers, um, because we went to a house and it turned out the house was actually shut up and uninhabited. But over the road, there was a group of guys digging a hole in the road, fixing a main. And one of them 
gave his thumbs up, so we went over to talk to them. And after about half an hour, we were all standing around the hole, holding hands, praying <laughs> like crazy. Wow. It was great. <laughs> yes, that, that, that was really bizarre. Was a, they'd been fixing a water main, and, and literally, you know, I said, can, can we pray for you? And all the gloves came off, all the hats came off, heads were bowed, linking hands around this hole in the ground. Wow. It was like something out of a comedy movie. It really was. <laughs> well, it's great to know that uh, there is so much work going on for, I guess, the witness of, of God's love in, in true actuality, not just being talked about, but actually being seen, the hands-on, the, the work that SP are doing and, mm. and those other chaplains that are there supporting both the, the Samaritan's Purse workers and, and the general population. So that's great. And it's good to remember in the lead-up to Christmas that, this is ongoing. There are people who this Christmas are going to find themselves in a fairly affluent area. You know, it's not a third world country, the US, mm-hmm. without a home maybe, without a lot of things this Christmas. And there's going to be some people there sharing God's love with them on Christmas. Yeah, that's that's right. I mean, Samaritan's Purse, it says help in Jesus' name. And, and that's exactly what we do. We didn't realize when we went over that it was actually Thanksgiving week. So we ended up on Thursday, on Thanksgiving Day, we were out on the streets half a day there too. And people were just so appreciative of of someone caring. Well, look, uh, it's great to be able to hear the experiences and and to hear the way that God is is truly impacting people all over the world through this ministry. Thank you so much for sharing your stories. Now, as always, we we like to be able to put people in touch. If there's something they've heard that says, yeah, maybe I can be part of this, or or maybe there's something they want to know more about. You've got a website that's up and running. You've got uh, Facebook accounts that are up and running. What's going to be the easiest way for people to find out more? Right. Well, we we have a 1300 number, which will get them in contact with with pretty much anyone in the organization. I guess the easiest way is probably through the webpage, uh, billygram.org.au. That has details of all of the things that we're doing. And also, if if people are interested in, in doing the Samaritan's Purse, looking into Samaritan's Purse Disaster Relief too, uh, we also have samaritanspurse.org.au. Either of those will, will get you in touch and give you some more information. Well, Phil, Lindsay, thank you for, for coming by and having a chat to us again here at Vision Radio. And it's great to be able to share these stories as... It's still only a fledgling ministry here in Australia, the the Billy Graham Rapid Response Team. So it's great to be able to hear what you've been doing and to share those stories. Yeah, we, we've been running about 18 months now. It's, it's starting to gain momentum. We've got a, a number of church denominations and church-related organisations interested in, in cooperating with us in, in training and deployment. And we're hoping to develop that next year. Queensland and New South Wales are the, the two most exciting areas for us. Like what you've just heard? There's more great podcasts or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener supported. Your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to life. Learn more or donate today at vision.org.au.